I had the privilege of having the same Lilly um, clergy renewal sabbatical grant um, three years ago that your pastor and you all are enjoying this summer. And I, I still feel the fruit and experience the fruit of those, for me, three months that I had. Um, I can't tell you the, the themes, the things that God spoke to me, the renewal. I feel like I'm still writing that glow and that experience in so many ways. Um, and I love the theme for yours in keeping in step with the Spirit. Um, a large part of my sabbatical had a, was around the theme of walking, and you'll hear that in this, in this sermon this morning. So I just felt like, oh, I'm just kind of hopefully in stride, <laughs> literally, with what you have already been thinking about and talking about this summer and, and just um, the theme of keeping in step um, with the Spirit. Um, hopefully we'll, you'll hear that in my message for you this morning. I also know that you are familiar with maybe the Vitality Pathway and the 10 Healthy Missional Markers. I think you've um, worked with that over the past few years. And so what I have to share this morning has to do with one of those missional markers. Um, That is the life-transforming walk with Jesus. Um, Again, I just love that image, that idea that our our walk with Christ, it is that. It's active. Um, it's, it's ongoing. Uh, and it ha- leads to a life that is transformed. Our early covenanters used to ask one another, how goes your walk? How goes your walk? Are you actively listening to God, to his word, and following after Jesus? And I, I understand that that's been part of your, your reading and theme um, this summer. And again, I hope what I bring today is just a reminder and encouragement about that walk, about that life-transforming walk. I think sometimes we forget, we forget the Apostle Paul's admonition that we are to grow up in Christ. We are to become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, as Paul says. And that doesn't happen in an instant. It takes a lifetime and beyond. I think too often we um, kind of rest in that early experience of Christ, maybe back in high school or earlier college, when we first came to know him. That first story that we have of our life kind of being given over, submitting to God. But we forget it, or we fail to recognize that It's a life of discipleship, continuing to grow up, continuing to mature, to see the unfolding of Christ's character within us. And it takes greater measures of faith, of taking risks, of humbling ourselves, of listening to God, doing things like I saw there, going on mission trips. Oh my goodness. Taking those steps that take us out of our comfort zone. It is... Great to look back at those pivotal moments of change and to look back and see what God has done, but it shouldn't ever only be in the past. How is it a present reality? That life-transforming walk with Jesus is for here and now and continues on. But it's not. It's not for the faint of heart. We witness in the Gospels that walking with Jesus is a radical call one that turns your life inside out, upside down, and then stands you up again in a whole new, astonishing, 
and meaningful way. A walk that means choosing love over hate, servanthood over power, self-reflection over indifference, engagement over avoidance. We can't manufacture this kind of transformation in our life. It happens when we keep in step with the Spirit. It's not some formula that we can follow. It occurs when we encounter the living God and experience his love, his truth, and his grace and unfolding in new ways in our life. When we're inspired by who he is and what he calls us to. So today's talk is really about, again, encouraging you to keep on, keep on the path. Continue walking with Jesus. Um, I assume you wouldn't be here if you weren't at some level intrigued by or wanted to know more about or haven't already committed to this walk in some way. So I hope that today you'll hear something that will encourage you to stay on that path, that narrow path. Continue each day to choosing to walk with Jesus. So the passage we're going to look at um, is already on the, partly on the screen there for you in the Gospel of Mark, and it doesn't speak of transformation specifically, but it's going to remind us a little bit about kind of the the pattern of our relationship with Christ. But let me first um, give a little context leading up to chapter three into these just these couple verses. That's where I'll spend most of the time, but I just want to review what's happened up to this point. The beginning of Mark, we see Jesus baptized at the River Jordan, and his identity is affirmed by the Father. The Father says, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. And then Jesus begins his ministry of calling people to sacrificial living, to follow him. He goes around and he heals the sick, those living on the margins of life. A ministry that shocks the institutional leaders by his teaching and what looks to be a blatant disregard for the traditional rules and regulations held by the religious order of that day, particularly climaxing with how Jesus, um, what Jesus says about the Sabbath, an affront to the religious leaders, but Jesus reorients it. And as well, just in these first couple chapters, amidst all of that, we also see Jesus pull away for self-care, which includes solitude and prayer with his Father. That's just a real brief overview. Lots happens. The healing of lepers, the, the, like I said, the reorientation of, of Sabbath-keeping, the calling of some of those first disciples. And then we get to this section of chapter 3. Very short few verses that I want to uh, draw to our attention. Um, Let me just read this. Jesus went up on the mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. And then he goes on, um, Mark goes on to name who all those 12 apostles were. So the first point I want to make and to remind us of is this, that Jesus went to the mountain and called to him those he wanted. And it all starts with being chosen. Much like the father chose Jesus and named him and blessed him, 
at that baptism, Jesus is now choosing those to come around him and be with him. Feels good to be chosen, right? Good to be selected for the team, to be invited, to be in, to be included in something, and in this case, something so much larger than we've ever known. And again, I set this forth as a pattern. I think it is true for all of us. We are chosen. We are chosen by God. He knows us. Even if you're here just checking things out, it's not an accident. You're wanted. If you've been going to church all your life and you know no other thing to do on a Sunday, you are wanted. Whether you're a kid or a high school student, God chooses you. He wants you. If you don't have it all together, which a lot of these disciples didn't, all of them, he wants you. He calls you. If you've been in conversation with a friend or a coworker who's asking hard questions about faith and whether there's a God, remember, they are wanted. This is the good news, the gospel of Christ. We are wanted. I hear my earring. He chooses us. We are God's beloved. Like those early disciples, we are the community called by God. You know the number one priority of God in this world? It is to woo each one of us back into relationship with him. I believe the whole arc of the Bible attests to that. Beginning in the garden with that infamous apple incident, Adam and Eve hid from God in shame. And what did God do? He went looking for them. He said, where are you? And I think that's the perennial question that God asks of us. Where are you? And God's pursuit and search for all of humanity to come home to him has only continued from there. Jesus claims that his whole purpose was to come to seek and save the lost. Where are you? We also know that there's this wonderful dynamic and mystery in in these stories. For as much as we think we choose to follow Jesus, whether for the first time of saying yes or the daily yeses to follow, the Bible tells us that he first chose us. No one can come to me, Jesus says, unless the Father who sent me draws them. So the 12 apostles here were appointed. They were chosen. They were named by Jesus Their special privilege here serves as a model and a reminder to us that we are wanted. We now are chosen by God to be his children, his people, his followers. So even if that is what you need to hear today, bless you, sit with that, sit with that word, this today or this week, to just remember that you are chosen, that God wants you. So that's the first point, that you are chosen. And then comes a purpose, two purposes, really, in these verses. And the first one is maybe a little hidden if you don't think about it. The first purpose is to hang out with Jesus. It says he appointed the 12 to be with him. Sometimes we think this spiritual life is all summed up to this call to just believe and then the command to go. But we miss that little phrase in between, that the first invitation is to be with him, to hang out, to get to know him. And we can't 
overlook that. It is critical to our discipleship and our transformation. There's a book that I read a couple years ago called With, Reimagining the Way You Relate with God by Sky Jathani. And in it, he talks about these various postures we have or kind of maybe images of God or how we relate to God, sometimes unconsciously. And he uses various prepositions to kind of describe it. He talks about how some live a life from God, some embody a life over God, um, for God, under God. And he kind of describes kind of a theological or perspective on our relationship with God using these four prepositions. I can't take the time to explain all of the differences right now. But um, suffice it to say, each of these ways of being with God, according to the author, falls short. While there's some truth in each of them, None of them quite capture the invitation that we read here in Mark's gospel, where Jesus' first invitation is for us to be with him. And so the author of this book argues that truly at the center of God's heart is having his children with him. Sometimes it's hard for us to believe or to accept that God actually delights in us, that he wants that time with us. Yes, to learn, yes, to um, follow him and and understand his will, but he wants to enjoy life with us. He wants us to be with him. It's not an afterthought, but written right here as one of the first things the disciples are invited to do in this new community. We see this later. If you continue to read through chapter 3, you get to that story where Jesus is with, um, sitting with a group of his followers, and you know his family comes looking for him because they're trying to understand what's going on. They're confused by the stories and of, of Jesus and what they're hearing. They can't make sense of it. And Jesus, when he's told that his mother and brothers were looking for him, he says, who are my mother and brothers, he asked. Then he looked around at those seated near him, and he said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Whoever does God's will, he's naming those that are sitting around him. What are they doing? They're sitting with Jesus. That was the definition of doing God's will right there. We know that Jesus loved his family, but here he wants to make this point, this point that opens up the circle of Jesus's family wide enough to include us, wide enough to include all those who are sitting with Jesus listening to him, hearing him, being with him. So again, it begs the question, how are you doing at being with Jesus? Sitting with him, whatever that looks like, listening. Not merely learning the facts about Jesus, doing the things of church, but sitting with our Lord, understanding what makes his heart beat? It took the disciple, if we look to the disciples as a model, um, we can understand that this includes spending a lot of time with Jesus. It takes time. Again, get, getting back to my love of walking, and which kind of came out of my sabbatical time, I've read that um, by some estimates, Jesus walked approximately 3,125 miles during his three-year ministry, based on someone who figured out the geography and all that. 
3,125 miles. By my pace, that's about 1,000 hours of walking. Think about all the time those disciples had with Jesus, a thousand hours of wandering and walking. Imagine the life and the depth of conversation that they were able to have on the road together. The shared stories, the annoyances, the learning, the transformation as they walked and talked. Along the way, they saw how Jesus cared for people, listened to other stories, how he responded to his critics. They ate many, many meals together. They probably talked and laughed around campfires at night. And do you know what happens when you spend that much time with someone? Such maybe a spouse, housemate, a really good friend. What happens? You start to talk like each other. You sound similar. You maybe start dressing alike. You might even start smelling alike. We gradually change and become like those that we spend time with. We care about the things they care about. In other words, we begin to change and be transformed. For us, this happens through scripture meditation. Again, not just study, but immersing ourselves in scripture. It happens through listening prayer, not just naming our requests and lists to God. Listening, letting God speak, listening to his voice. It happens as we choose to spend time with others who reflect Jesus's light and character in our lives. In being with Jesus, we not only gain intimate understanding of who he is, but we also begin to be like him, to talk like him, to act like him, to hopefully love like him. So the context so far has been we know that we are chosen by God and we are called to be with Jesus where transformation begins to take place. But then we're given the second purpose, which might be a little more curious. It says he appointed the 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. All right, sign me up. (laughs) All right, you might think that's the last thing I want to do, preach and drive out demons. What is that supposed to mean? Um, I think it, yes, in our day it sounds a, a little strange, and we have to kind of think about a little more the context. What does that mean today? And here's my best answer. Jesus is giving them a purpose and giving them authority and power to go and do the very things he was doing. It was a shorthand way of saying, I want you to be with me and then go do the things that I am called and empowered to do. Jesus was traveling around Palestine doing many things, teaching the scriptures, praying, healing, and caring for those um, or whoever he would go around and talk with. And yes, he was speaking against the powers, whether spiritual or human, anything that held people captive. In other words, he even summarized it himself. In Luke chapter 4, we read, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And in John 10, Jesus says, I have come that they might have life 
and have it to the full. We know these verses. That's what Jesus was about. Freedom and new life. And that is the purpose that he's passing on to those 12 and then to us. For those of us who answer that call of a life-transforming walk with Jesus, we get to go do the things that Jesus was doing. We're called to be co-lovers with God, that our, we have that common vocation. We're invited into this amazing co-creative work of letting people know they are loved, that they are wanted, they're valued, that they too can enjoy this transformed life of freedom and purpose with God. We're called to name the lies and uncover the godly practices around us. We're here to help set people free, anyone who is enslaved by unjust people or systems or powers. Does that sound big? Does that sound beyond us? Yes, it is, but we're called to do that together. It is a large work, but we get to do it together with the unique calls and passions and personalities that we all bring to this. We're called to be with him, to become like him, and go and get to do the things that Jesus did. We have to be about freeing people and inviting them into this beautiful new life. This is the rhythm, the rhythm of being called, of chosen, of being with Jesus, and then getting to go do the things that he does. It would be great if that was the end and easy and all right, let's have fun and do that together. But there's always a rub, right? There's always the hard news with the good news. And so I'm going to tell you a little of what might be the hard news in the midst of that. Because hidden in the lines of that invitation to life with Jesus and learning to become like him is the fact that we don't do it alone. The beauty, we get to do it together. And the hard part is we'd get to do it together. Because not only do I want to be near Jesus and with him, but so do every one of you. And I have this image, you know, of the, going along with this idea of sitting at Jesus' feet, circling around him, all these folks with him. Um, I have this image of, as a mom or a teacher, this experience, maybe you've had it, where, you know, that story time, and you invite your kids or invite your class to come forward and come near you and sit and listen to the story. Let's get cozy, you know, maybe on the couch or in the classroom. And then what happens? All the kids start trying to negotiate for the space. They keep inching closer and closer, and you're like trying to read. Or there's, he touched me. So-and-so's in the way. I can't see, right? Am I alone? I have that image. We start butting into each other. We want to have that near and clear view and experience of Jesus. We want to be faithful to this call and have this life of obedience and purpose. But then there's all this negotiating that has to happen with the rest of the people that are around, also devoted followers of Jesus. But we forget that. There are no solo disciples. This transforming walk with Jesus happens as we walk with others in this common call and shared purpose. And there's something beautiful about that, something that God intended in that from the beginning. We know that the very first uh, not good was not, it's not good to be alone. Scripture says that whenever two or more are gathered, the Spirit of God is present. 
But there's also other things present when that happens. The possibility of stepping on one another's toes or one-upmanship or friction over differences or unmet expectations, maybe even blaming. We see this occur even in the remaining chapters of the Gospels into the rest of the New Testament. Disciples wondering who is the greatest, vying for those positions, those closer positions to Jesus, judging others who are trying to heal in Jesus' name, the questioning of Paul versus Peter's methods, followers choosing their favorite apostles, and leaders who had to part ways over disagreements. It's all there. And then, of course, we have the witness of Paul's letter, letters to the churches, addressing conflicts, reminding them that to love God is to love one another. It's real. The life-transforming walk with Christ is a walk, and we are all works in progress. We might be at different places on the path. I might have a great day today and then go home and yell at my kids. And you won't know that, but it happens. Ego, pride, old self, broken self, selfishness, fearfulness, reactivity, none of us are exempt. None of us is perfect. None of us sees clearly or fully or has the corner market on truth. If only I could be a solo disciple, but it's not the case. So inherent in this call to be with Jesus, we learn to do that together with those who are around us, who share in that same call. I believe from Jesus' perspective, at his feet, there is room for everyone who wants to be there. And he sees each one of us. He knows our name. He knows our heart. He knows our intention. Wherever we sit in that circle. How we love one another is both the measure and the sign of this life-transforming walk with Christ. There's a reason he calls us to do this together in community. We need each other for that transformation to keep moving, to keep forward for those, um, that important work to keep unfolding. How we work through our differences, how we serve one another, how we forgive one another how we seek to remain united in our purpose and calling, even when there are differences, all give witness to that life-transforming walk with Christ. So together, we're called to be with him. Together, we're called to love and care for those things which he cares for. Together, we learn to extend grace and forgiveness Together, we seek to experience and celebrate the new and full life that he offers us. It won't happen overnight, and there will probably be some bruises along the way. But it's so worth it, so worth being invited into this community that God has appointed and given us. Let me close in prayer. Lord, would you speak to each of us, to our hearts and where we stand or sit this day. Speak the words we long to hear, remembering that we are chosen by you, that we are not forgotten, but that you are looking for us, following after us, asking, where are you? And wanting to spend time with us. 
Lord, may our desire be renewed today, our desire to be with you, to know that it is in connection and relationship with you that that is the best place to be, that we need not fear or be ashamed, but just receive what you have for us, your love, your grace, this new, this call, and this identity that you give us as beloved children. And Lord, I pray that you would, for those who are ready, challenge us to go, to be your light in this world, to shine your light, to set the captives free, whatever that looks like around us. Whether it's sharing who you are, whether it's the choice to forgive someone, whether it's to proclaim truth in the name of Jesus. Give us the courage and power to do that by your spirit. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.